Welcome to Psychotherapy. This is episode 12. I talked to you in episode 11 about how the day after my surprise party, I found out tragically that I lost a friend of mine. This episode is about my friend Vaskin, who I knew for 20 years. The lessons that he taught me, our friendship, how I've kind of coped with losing as many people as I have in the last year. But it's not all sad, so... I hope you enjoy it. Thank you for listening. I'm Jet Dunlap. Here we go. So I have this doctor. It's not really a doctor. It's a nurse practitioner. But I have this nurse practitioner then that I've been seeing for about four years. And it's in this not-so-great neighborhood in Reseda because the way my insurance is is that's what it allows me. But, you know, whatever. We all go through this. And I get in there. This is Monday. And I have an appointment. And they say well, you know, we no longer take your insurance. And I'm like, when did this happen? They're like, oh, well, you know, forever. Well, you were never supposed to be recommended here. And man, only insurance companies and doctor's offices can really get away with that, right? I've been going there four years. I was obviously recommended to it by a doctor. It's not like I just chose some random place to go, you know, seek mental health. And I use that word loosely with this place. Basically, what I go into is a room that was a converted bathroom at one point. And the reason I know it was a converted bathroom is because the pipes that are going to what was the plumbing are capped. And it was obviously like a really quickly done kind of room. I sit in a chair and I stare at a computer monitor. And the computer monitor is with someone chatting in the background who's not talking to me. And they have a false background, like a kind of a, a studio background. It shows like some weird cityscape. But the way they're sitting, it, it's impossible. So it looks really weird. It's usually got a lot of interference. And the person is there to just confirm my prescriptions on a monthly basis. This is because the way my prescriptions are set up is that they need to be done every month. Anyway, so they tell me that they don't take my insurance anymore, even though I've been there four years. And they're like, you're going to have to have a copay. And I'm like trying to figure out, should I call my insurance company? They tell me to do that, blah, blah, blah. And then I wait. I decide to pay the $50, whatever. After I talk to the insurance company, I just sit there in the office and I'm waiting for someone to help me. My appointment was at 1 o'clock. 1.30 rolls around, 1.45 rolls around. And I'm sitting there and I'm like the only person in there. It looks like some kind of post-apocalyptic kind or pre-apocalyptic, I guess, <laughs> office that's so shabby. I mean, one time in the like little kid's play place, it's someone had carved in the wall, F this place, but it didn't say F, it said the whole word. And uh, that's just to kind of give you an idea of what kind of location this is. People come in there screaming, all that. And I'm sitting there, I'm looking at my phone. All these posts are coming up, and then one message comes up. And it says, he thought of you as a brother, and he always talked about you, and he cared about you so much, and now you have a guardian angel. This was some woman I had never talked to, never heard of, and she was referring to my friend of 20 years, Vaskin Lorenzian, who died in a motorcycle accident the day after my birthday party. He was up in uh, the high desert, and he was stopped at a stoplight with a bunch of friends. He and I used to ride motorcycles a lot together. He was probably one of the safest riders I had ever known because he was just he was just like a grandma when he rode. You know, I don't know, probably not. When he grandma's ride, he always rode slowly. He had the best helmets. You know, he taught me how to ride a motorcycle years ago, and he's always like, you got to make sure it has these two certifications because this one's the minimum, but you got to make sure your head is protected. He was at a stop sign with four of his friends. So five riders at a stoplight and it was red and a person hit them at 70 miles per hour and it launched my friend into the air. He got hit by another car and he broke his neck on impact. And I found out about this from a very good friend of mine who was actually at my birthday party briefly. I mentioned him in the last podcast. One of my groomsmen, Rich, calls me up at like 8.45, 9 o'clock the day after my party. 
And I knew immediately, you know, there's just certain people, he's got a day job and three kids. And I knew immediately there's something wrong. So I think I even answered the phone, hey man, what's going on? Anxiously. And he said, you know, Vaskin, there was an accident. And I immediately thought, because he's young, you know, he's, he's not my age, he's probably in his late 50s. He just doesn't seem, there's nothing wrong with him, right? So my brain doesn't understand what's going on. I'm like, well, what about Baskin? Is he sick? He get in a car accident or something like that, or a bike accident, but you know, I didn't think he was dead. He said he's like, he's just, you know, he's gone. There were, you know, four other people were hit. Two of them are critical condition. The other guys are, uh, they're okay. And he was the only one to die instantly. And you know, I've, I, I think I've mentioned it before, but I've had some tragedy in the last year. As a matter of fact, Vaskin was the one who told me about a friend of ours, mutual friend of mine and Vaskin's, this guy, Brady, who ended his life in November, thereabouts. And Vaskin was the one who called me. And we even had a conversation. I looked at it the other day in Messenger, myself and Vaskin. And I said, hey, you know, all these people we've known from the old days, you know, uh, they keep dying tragically. I said, make sure, Vaskin, that you don't die. And he put, LOL, I'll try my best. And I stared at that for a long time because it's kind of, I mean, it's not kind of eerie. I think I just had a feeling. I just worried about him. It wasn't because of motorcycle riding. He was a weekend warrior against. This guy was routine-based. And while I was sitting there in that doctor's office, I actually, <laughs> obviously I don't like saying this kind of stuff, but my eyes just started to run. You know, I, I, I didn't cry when my grandfather died because I had a long time to prepare for it. And I felt his presence and his words even when he was gone. But with Vaskin my body was just reacting to the fact that this odd thing had happened. I've had more experience with this than most and definitely had more experience with it recently than many. I don't want to say most because I'm sure there's a lot of people out there who lose a lot of people. But uh, it was odd. And, you know, I could have made it a big pity party. Oh, after my birthday, my friend dies. Oh, what does this mean? Wah, wah, wah. But it's not about me. It's just one of those things. He didn't do anything wrong. I mean, one of the things I put when I posted on Facebook was about his passing, but I didn't say that he was riding his motorcycle because I didn't want all that judgment. You know, oh, motorcycles are unsafe. He was stopped at a stoplight. The person was going 70 miles per hour was either texting or asleep. There's an ongoing criminal investigation right now. So it could have been anyone in a car. And if they were in the back seat, they would have died just as easily. So I don't know that there's a ton I can glean from this. And I don't know if there's a lot of insight I know what I did right. You know, I'm usually guided by my heart in these kind of situations. I speak to people more frankly. You know, I had to actually let a number of his friends who aren't very social media active um, know about it. And I guess that's kind of a good time to tell you how I knew Vaskin. <laughs> I met Vaskin in 1999 when I applied and got a job at a place called Good Guys. Good Guys Electronics. Good Guys Electronics is a thing from a bygone era. This was commission sales. We got a percentage of everything we sold and we had high-end electronics. And my mentor, my uh, my boss, you know, loosely, he wasn't very much of a boss, but he was, he had some kind of seniority on me. I don't know if it was an assistant manager or something like that, but he, he, was, he was my boss in the sense that he probably had a title that gave him that, but I didn't really treat him like a boss. You know, I'm not going to pretend I respected the hell out of the guy all the time. He... Uh, he kind of, I had had some sales experience for the time I was 19 years old. I had worked for the LA Times doing door-to-door paper sales. So that was kind of intense, jumping over fences, getting into condos, running away from dogs, having creepy people answer their door naked with their robes open. I mean, you wouldn't believe it if you had to go door. I'm sure everyone who's listening to this who's done door-to-door sales, it is a bizarre thing. 
So after that, I went in and I wanted a real job and I moved to good guys. And I applied there like six times. And I told you in the last one, it wasn't very easy because I couldn't write. And I had a really hard time reading. So I had to bring these cheat sheets in, but I think someone helped me. Anyway, I ended up working with Vaskin and he teaches me the ropes. He taught me a ton, but he gave me this kind of I don't know, wonderful view into the industry in a way that I hadn't been tainted with yet. There's no social media. There was no, there wasn't a million people in your ears telling you what's right and wrong, right? So, oh, sales are bad, you know, oh, like CarMax, right? CarMax and these other places, they say, there's a no hassle guarantee. And you know what that means? They're just stealing from you, right? So they're saying, we have a 200% markup and we're going to make sure that you can't haggle. So all you out there who think that like not negotiating at dealership or, you know, on a house or anything, this is you think that you're getting an advantage, you know, I would say get used to a little confrontation and save yourself thousands of dollars. But anyway, I digress. This was this was back when there were real sales. And Vaskin taught me how to do it without being, how would I say, like, uh, it was honest, you know, I mean, he he basically would, he would, he would show me how to find someone uh, or find a product for someone that was the best product that met their needs. And, you know, maybe even a little more than their, you know, basic needs, something that would actually bring them joy or, you know, I mean, we were selling home entertainment stuff, right? I mean, we had like TVs. I sold the first plasma screen in California and it was to a guy who is funny. And now we're friends on Facebook. His name is Donald Freeze. And it was a Sony and it was like $11,000 and it was like 40 inches or something like that. So that was, you know, that was the kind of world we were in and we made commission off this, but we had great relationships. Even Donald, he would continue to purchase from me. We'd give him incredible discounts, but we also, you know, if he had a question about how to set up his stuff, he'd call me. I know this seems like a lot of backstory on, on the industry in general, but it is one of those things that I'm sad had to die because when you buy something on Amazon and it's broken, you just have to deal with returning. Back in this day when I did it, it was like you, you actually had a human you could contact. You could say, Hey Jet, I have your card this isn't working. And I'd go out to the person's house, I'd check out their audio equipment. If it didn't work, I'd swap it out for him. It was kind of a cool thing. And Vaskin was the guy who taught me all this, how to do it right. He had some lines. He had some funny stuff he'd do. I remember one time we had this customer, God, they had like, we called it a ticket, right? A ticket. So it was like all this stuff that was on, like the person had like $600 worth of audio cabling because the more expensive the audio stuff and the greater distance, the more expensive the cable is going to be, like gold-plated, all that stuff, right? So they had like $600 just of cable. And I even remember I made like 25 30% on that. So I was doing really well as a 19-year-old kid. I think I made like 60 or 80 grand that year. And uh, and the guy was like, you know, I need more of a discount. It's probably like six or $7,000 worth of stuff. And Vaskin, Vaskin was, oh my God, talk about a pushover for discounts. Probably one of the reasons I, you know, buddied up to him when I was there because he had the manager codes and he would really give like deep discounts, which is great because, uh, you know, we'd know where to do it. So you'd know where the profit in the product was. So you discount the thing that has small margins to keep the ones that are anyway. I'm not going to give you all the secrets, but uh, he always gave the customer the best deal. However, one time I remember someone said, uh, said, so, okay, what can you do for me? What, what is, okay, what can you do for me right now? What's, what's the, the best you can do for me? And Vaskin said, he said this. This is the kind of world it was like in sales. And it was even worse years before this, but it was still kind of fun, right? No one was smoking cigarettes inside. We were smoking cigarettes right outside the door. So, I mean, it was a little bit like, a, you know, those boiler room days in those old uh, sales movies, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. But um, so he says to the guy, he said, the guy's like, what can you do for me? And he says, close your eyes. The guy's like, what? And he's like, close your eyes. And the guy says, 
And and you know you'd have to know Vaskin. He was he was a really little guy. He was buff. He was very strong. He was always weightlifting. But he's probably like five four, five five. So he was not an intimidating guy. So the kind of things he could get away with because he was smiley and always just so full of you know he was just always joking and joyful. So even his customers loved him. So anyway, he tells this guy's like uh, the guy's like, what can I get? And Vaskin said, close your eyes. And the guy goes, okay, whatever, I'll close my eyes. So the guy does, and uh, Vaskin says, okay, let me ask you. What do you see? The guy goes, nothing. And Vaskin goes, exactly. That's what I can do for you. I've already done enough. And this kind of stuff for a guy who's coming up in sales, being able to do that, the customer laughed. You know, this is someone, again, who has the money, someone who really wants the products, who got a great discount, who has an amazing relationship with, you know, in this case, myself and Vaskin, is a longtime customer. But those kind of things are hilarious. I mean, I remember one more story that he did where someone's like, well, I really want, I really want this. I really want that. And he goes, he goes, you know what? yeah, I really want like a Ferrari. I want a, and he started going into stuff and he's like, he's like, it's fun to want things, isn't it? <laughs> Ugh. It might even say, sound cruel or mean, but if it was him, you know, you'd get it. He's just one of those guys. Taught me a lot. You know, other stuff, like just, I had an incredible young, you know, or teenage years and going into my 20s as far as a inoculation to racism. As a kid, you know, I grew up in L.A. proper, near um, in an area that is, you know, close to central L.A., so I was always in the minority, which was great because I didn't understand this whole kind of whites are better than other people because <laughs> in my case, I was one of the only guys, and I was not very good at reading or writing, and I was not very good at sports, so I didn't think of any superiority, so that was an easy inoculation. But then when I started getting out into the world, like in sales, all the guys who trained me, like Vaskin, were Middle Eastern. Vaskin was a proud Armenian man, and he was from Lebanon, and he came to this country just like everyone else I worked with who was from, you know, India or Pakistan or Israel. This was the typical people who worked in my industry. They were, they came here for a better life, and they went into sales because they liked the idea of a job that didn't just pay you based on the mood of a person who hires you, and, and they would work hard. And there were a lot of stereotypes and a lot of kind of like, uh, ideas of what people in that industry or in car sales were. And I even sold cars later. So I got to see who they really were and, and got to see them from a vantage point that got me to, I mean, not only just, I mean, not open my heart. It wasn't anything I was looking for. It was just that these guys were my teachers. You know, they taught me a skill set and, and an art that was catering to the customer in a way that made sure that they were there or the customer was with you for life, the lifeline of whatever the, the career you were in. And, and treating them right, but also being able to make a profit and being plain with that, you know, and, and they, they did it so well that it's something that rubbed off on me. And also, I just got to learn about their culture. And he taught me about their culture and what they've overcome. And he, he just opened my eyes to a lot of things that if it wasn't through such a quality guy that I would have had that exposure. And I think that if I hadn't have been introduced to people like him through key points of my life, I look at the way the world is right now. And I just, I pity the people who didn't get to have the Vaskins. And the city upbringing that I did where, you know, I, I got to see things for what they were and I got to be raised by a lot of people and almost none of them looked like me. He certainly didn't. <laughs> I mean, a lot of these pauses that I'm taking are just because the, the memories are so familiar. I mean, I just found out like 20 minutes ago where he's, where he's being buried and, and when his funeral is going to be. It's, you know, when you're born, everyone you know, kids. It's something I think that we never will understand as children. When you're born, everyone you know is alive. Some people who are luckier, I guess the people you love and the people who you cherish, they stick around for a long time. And, and I don't think that I'm any exception to that. I don't think that I have 
more tragedy in my life than others. But, uh, and I'm not feeling sorry for myself. I got to know him. One of the things that could be learned from my friend Vaskin was that he kind of, I think I helped him with when, when I was seeing him on a regular basis, was that he had a relationship that ended poorly when he was like in his 20s. He lived in Las Vegas and he got married. And the story goes that she left him. And I think he was very insecure about his height. He was really, you know, he was really, he was really a short guy. I mean, not that I cared, but, you know, I think that affected him and, and she left him. And so he moved down to LA and that's how I met him when he was working at Good Guys. And then he moved into his mom and dad's house because his dad was sick. And uh, then his dad passed and then he stayed there until, I mean, he died. I mean, his mom is still alive. She's like 94 years old. But he tried to date a little bit. And I remember the last person he dated, or as far as I know, I mean, we have kept in touch. I don't think I asked him as much about his dating life recently. But um, <laughs> I don't know what happened, right, with this relationship. But uh, it was one of the first people he dated after his marriage. And they went out a couple of times. I remember even when this was later when I worked it, he got me the job at Singular that turned into AT&T. And I remember he was getting ready for this date. And he's like, what do you think I look like, Jetty? And he called me Jetty and I called him Baskies. We were you know, affectionate, cute little names. And he's like, what do you think I look like, Jetty? Do I look good enough for this, uh, for this date? And I'm like, yeah, you look great, man. He goes out and they start dating for a little while. And then he was just so used to his routine of not being with anyone that I think that he said that she got in the way of his gym schedule, which is pretty hilarious, but very typical to him. He was, he was, oh my God, like clockwork. He went to the gym. And I think that, you know, I would have liked for him to have done a little bit more risk-taking in that place in his life, you know, kind of reached out a little more and, and tried love again. I, know, I have a lot of friends, actually, who are kind of, I don't want to say stunted, but kind of stuck in that world of their heart has been broken and then they don't try it again. And I would have liked to have, I, I would have liked for myself for him to have had that kind of experience again. And that I think that in a lot of ways, like a lot of us, he just kind of thought, well, I have forever. I'll figure it out. And I'm not even saying that, you know, it'd be better for a woman right now to have lost a husband or a boyfriend or his kids to have lost a father. He didn't have any children. But I would have liked it if he, he had gone out a little more, if he had tried a little more, you know, for himself. I mean, there's there's no regrets, right? He lived a life. I, I wrote that after he died. I, I put that up on social media. I'm like, he lived a life. He rode his motorcycles. He, he did what he wanted to, when he wanted to. He traveled, you know, by himself. He went to Italy. He went overseas a bunch of times by himself. And, and so he didn't prevent himself from living. He just, I think, didn't open himself to a part of life that I find so valuable being in the relationship I've been with Gina for 15 years. As a matter of fact, when we were getting married, Gina and I, Vaskin wrote me, he's like, man, she is some special woman. You guys have been together for 10 years and you haven't even married her. She just must really love you. And I said, yeah, she loves me a lot, man. It's been 12 years that we've been together and I hadn't married her. And she's like special. She, he said, she's, a, you know, she's such a special girl. You're so lucky. And he knew her too. I think that the best thing, the one thing I really did right was I lost my grandmother, who was probably one of the first people who just showed me unconditional love. And uh, my dad's mom. Mom's father is the one who passed recently. But Irma, my dad's mother, Hispanic lady. <laughs> Not that that matters, but she was. She was a single mother who raised my father, and, and she happened to be from Mexico. Don't say that too loud. Incredible woman. And uh, we lost her to cancer when I was 19 years old. I was the first person to find out she was dead from her sister who was staying there. And I remember that day was also the day of my girlfriend at the time's birthday, and we were going to Disneyland. And I went and kissed my grandmother's host. She was no longer there, but her body goodbye. And then I went to Disneyland, and I remember seeing Fantasmic and 
being with this beautiful young woman, my girlfriend at the time, and uh, Sarah, and just thinking about life and how beautiful it was I got to know her. But the only reason I tell you that story is because I was exposed to death pretty early. And one of the things I did right with Irma, and one of the things I did right with my grandfather and, and Vaskin and all these people, I left nothing unsaid with them. Everyone who knows me knows where I am with them and knows how I feel about them. And when I'm sober, as I have been most of my 30s and most of my 20s, I only drank for a little more than two years in my 30s. So I mention that because I don't know where I would have left people as far as their relationship with me and vice versa if I was drinking. But as a sober person, all the people I've lost, I have left nothing unsaid. Vaskin knew I loved him. It wasn't like... I mean, I say love, and again, there's that part of me <laughs> who's the teenager from, you know, the streets and, you know, not like, <laughs> not like the mean streets. I didn't carry a gat, but from the streets, you know, and you couldn't show that kind of emotion or say you loved a man. I mean, that's weird, right? He's not my dad. Even I don't even say I love my dad to my dad. It'd be a little creepy for us, but this guy loved me and I loved him and we were very close, like brothers and uh, over 20 years. He knew how I felt and I knew how he felt my grandfather, I had no words that I didn't say to him, and he had no words left to say to me in life. My grandmother, the first experience I really had with the tragic death with my dad's mom, Irma, I told her I love her, and the last word she ever said to anyone was that she loved me. And uh, and that was amazing. I always try and like wrap this up like LeVar Burton at the end of Reading Rainbow, right? And if it, I don't want to, I'm not, I'm not telling you these stories to teach you a lesson, right? I think, I think that it is easy for most people to gleam some kind of relevance out of these tales that I'm exposed to. I have had a life where things like this have happened to me enough times where I can really share this with people, the human experience. And I was talking to a friend of mine yesterday who's still alive, fortunately, and hopefully will be for a very long time. And I was saying that I don't have any lack of stories. And it used to be my Achilles heel. It used to be what made me, you know, not want to wake up in the morning, quite frankly, because I was so miserable. Because so many of the things that happen in my life, for whatever reason, there's just people this happens to are tragic and sad. And, you know, I mean, I started this thing with telling you about how I lost my mind and, and had delirium three years ago and was in a hospital and didn't know who I was. And, you know, my doctors thought I had liver cancer at one point. My doctors for three years thought I had leukemia because I had weird, weird blood tests. I've had all these things that have gone on in my life that if not for the purpose of teaching someone, I don't know, how to go through the human condition with optimism and awareness and not just saying this is it and saying it's not worth continuing like my friend Brady did and like many of my friends who ended their life prematurely. I, I think there's something that can be learned from just these stories. But if I had to, you know, wrap it up in a way, it would be that I am so happy that these people knew how I felt when they left this planet and went wherever they're going. I'm so happy that between all of the people I've lost in the last year, we all left each other beautifully no grudges. I have zero outstanding grudges in my life right now. That was a gift my grandfather gave to me. A gift that was one of the hardest things I ever had to do for giving a person that, oh my God, I thought I'd go to my grave. Not forgiving because they did something so horrible to myself and my wife. But my grandfather, he told me on his deathbed to forgive this person. 
And I'll go into that another day because that's a whole episode. But I mean, listen, it took me 39 years to have this. I'm an angry dude, right? I, I felt like the world had dealt me a raw deal with dyslexia, ADD, you know, parents who struggle with alcoholism, me having alcoholism, not being able to do well in school, you know, having these jobs, not going to be able to go to college. I could go down the laundry list of wham, 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 me, 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 right? But it's all to say that I felt like I had a raw deal. So I had to figure out ways to make sure that I wasn't going to just, you know, end my life. And I had great, you know, mentors like Vaskin, like my therapist of 16 years, Steve Nelson, like my grandfather. I've learned a lot of these skill sets, but one of the ones I'd want to teach to you, one of the tools in my arsenal that keeps me going on a daily basis and didn't make me fall into a poor me cycle after my surprise party, feeling bad for myself because I lost this friend of mine, is that I have left everything with the people in my life, whether they're friends or family or whatever they are, elegantly. There's no one I have a grudge with. So there's no one who can pass where I go, I wish I had done it differently. And that is what I recommend to you. And like I said, two seconds ago, it took me till I was 39. So I don't expect this to happen overnight. I mean, it happens to you when you're 60. It's probably because you haven't had as much time to, you know, reflect on your life like I have for the last 10 years in my 30s, being basically an intellectual and spiritual looking inwards, like, you know, like trying some kind of Zen monk. I got to do that. So benefit from my experience in the fact that you don't want to leave any of that out there. And you're going to hear me and you're going to think, well, Jet, you know, just because you've lost people doesn't mean I'm going to lose someone. And I'm not going to tell you that life is fragile because you you either know that or you'll find out. It can't be. It's just not one of those things that can be learned through. I don't. Maybe it is, and I hope you can learn it from these words, but or through a movie or through poetry or through, through a book, if not me. But I'm telling you, whether you think life is fragile or not, bury those grudges. Even friends in your life where you're like, you know what? It was their fault. I'm not going to apologize. Who cares who fault, whose fault it is, you know? <laughs> we have a limited time deal here on this planet, right? And again, some of you hear this, some of you won't. But for those of you who are able to hear, we have a limited time deal on this earth. And there is no reason to walk around wearing that iron plate of weight on your chest, just closing your heart and your ribs in because you're mad at someone. Let it go. It's their fault. Say you're sorry. It's your fault. Say you're sorry. It's no one's fault. Say you're sorry. Because you'll be able to breathe afterwards and you're giving two people a gift and it's going to pay forward. They're going to hear that. They're going to feel it and they're going to go forward with their life. It may not happen immediately. They may even say it's about time. Someone may have done something egregious to you, right? <laughs> and, and you apologize and they'll be like, yeah, that's right. But that's not about you. You know what I mean? Like you've done what you need to do. You're done. That's it. You've done it person who I apologize to and fully forgive. I don't, I didn't just apologize to this individual. There'll be another episode where I talk about it. I didn't just apologize to this episode, to this episode. <laughs> I didn't just, maybe I should apologize for this episode. I didn't just apologize to this person. I forgave them completely. Forgive them, forgive yourself so that if anything does happen or if anything doesn't happen, you don't have any of that just sitting around on your heart. Thank you so much for listening to this one. I know it was Probably as tough to listen to as it was as it was tough to talk about, but uh, you know, you mean a lot to me, and I'm glad you give me the opportunity to exercise these feelings in my heart. So thanks a lot. Live your day, and I'll talk to you uh, next time. I'm Jet Dunlap. Thanks. <laughs>